Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. Still, when I go into organizations and I say to them, have you done a journey map? You know, do you do journey mapping? Most organizations go, yes. When I look at them, they're very internally focused still and very much based upon the opinion of the person doing it or the people doing it. Emotions. So what are the emotional states that your customers are likely to be in? Ideally going beyond just positive, negative, neutral, to actually identifying the various emotions that are at play at each stage and how they might change. So you learn these things and you go, yeah, but so what? What's that got to do with anything? You know, how, how in the hell do I apply that? And just so you know, I find that question threatening every time you ask. <laughs> Ryan, we have a listener mm-hmm. who has praised us. Oh, well, uh, I'd like to announce this as being the final episode of the Intuitive <laughs> Customer. We have we've peaked. That's it. Thanks. Guys. Yeah, we've 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 had a listener that said that they've learned so much from listening to the podcast. All right, now I don't trust this person. Who is? Yep. This well, like it, a government mole. No, it's my mum actually. <laughs> as long as we can track down the problem, I think yeah, that's that's. Oh, that's yeah. very nice to hear. Yes. They actually wrote in and said that they've learned so much about behavioral science on these podcasts, but have you ever noticed? Oh, okay. But. okay. Now I'm going back to being comfortable with this. All right. That's, that's better. Okay. Yeah. But, so they've learned so much about the behavioral science on these podcasts, but how do I apply this to my journey mapping? Okay. Mm. And I know that you and I are always very conscious of the fact that we need to be practical. So. Let me stop you, Colin. You're very conscious of the need to be practical. <laughs> you named your consulting firm Beyond Philosophy as if there was a problem with philosophy. I'm very comfortable with staying theoretically. theoretically. Yeah. Um, and and no, you're I mean, in academia and I'm not. That's right. Um, no, it's a good question. And it points to the fact that there are, in fact, multiple layers of being practical. I think yes. between the two of us, we do what we do. We try to do a decent yeah. job explaining the science in a practical way but there's definitely another layer of like taking a practical understanding of the science and then applying it to a very specific problem in this case journey mapping so um, i appreciate the question no i i thought it was a good question actually because you know i always have this what i call a so what question which is going so you learn these things and you go yeah but so what What's that got to do with anything? You know, how, how in the hell do I apply that? And just so you know, I find that question threatening every time you ask. <laughs> you know, so. You're just happy giving the theory. And then when it comes to practicalities, that's that's not yeah. your job. You, you're just calling a consultant or somebody like that. So it's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll be over here thinking deep thoughts. If you guys want to get anything done, that's yeah. Me. Did you ever read um, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Of course. Yes. Yeah. So you know that the answer is 42 then? Yes. <laughs> but the question remains to be defined. Yeah. Yes. 
And the question was, what's the what's the answer to life, the universe, and everything? That's right. And they came back with the answer, which is it's forty-two. Today we're going to talk a bit about how all these things that we have been chatting about for the last five years, and how do you build them in, build them into your journey mapping? And this is something we do. Okay, so this is not a theoretical approach. So I'm showing, or we're going to be talking to the, to people about stuff that we actually do, basically. I'll jump in here to say that, like, we're going to apply this specifically to journey map, which I think is a really useful way of thinking about applying behavioral science. I think it's great. But what we're going to say here would apply to trying to take behavioral science and use it to address any particular problem. So even if you you were not working in a context where you, you use journey maps a lot, if you want to apply behavioral science to anything, I think the method we're going to talk through now will hopefully be useful to you, although it, it'll specifically be very practically useful for making your journey maps more reflective of the wisdom of behavioral science. Yes, absolutely. The key questions for me are pretty simple, which is, so how does behavioral science manifest itself? Okay. Yes. So if in the step of the journey, how does it manifest itself? And I guess I'd also like to be clear here, which is to say it's effectively what lens you are looking through. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily going to give you massive insight to why somebody or an action that the person's taking all we're doing is then putting a sort of a label if you like on that action and hopefully it gives you a little bit more insight to why they're doing that and then from that because you now understand why they're doing that it means that you can go okay so if that's the reason they're doing that then what is it I should do? Or, you know, is there a way of me influencing what's happening here? Or should I take in some type of preventative measure? What should I do effectively? Now I know that peak end rule or framing or something like that is happening here, then what in the hell should I do about it? I have the perception, and you've you've done a lot more journey maps with with many companies. So you can correct me if my perception is wrong. But my perception of the way journey maps are used in business is kind of similar to the way a lot of firms do segmentation, where it's just, it's just an exercise that we go through, right? Now we've done a journey map, and we can put it on a big poster on the wall, as opposed to what you're talking about, which is no, the reason we journey map is so that we can actually know what to do at each stage. We can like make practical plans at each stage. Sure. And so that's also the approach we should take to behavioral science. I've said before, behavioral science never works in general. Sure. It never works in general. It only works in specific and very particular when you know exactly what's going on here. And so that's the purpose of a journey map too, is to break down you know, a customer decision into a series of stages where we can figure out. Yes. No, absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, a journey map, and clearly over the years, they've become very popular. But journey map is effectively getting you to understand the journey and the experience that the customer is having in its entirety. So in other words, irrelevant of organizational structure, yes, or whatever else. And it's making you think 
about simple questions like, well, where does the journey start and stop? And again, I go back to it for the customer. Yeah. So if I was to criticize journey mapping today, then there are two main criticisms I would have. One is they're too internally focused. So still, when I go into organizations and I say to them, have you done a journey map? You know, do you do journey mapping? Most organizations go, yes. When I look at them, they're very internally focused still and very much based upon the opinion of the person doing it or the people doing it rather than looking or doing it via getting customers involved or getting feedback from customers, etc. And let me add into that one. Amount of times still that happens is people present me effectively with the process as opposed to an experience. Mm-hmm. So, and that by definition is internal. This is what we expect the customer right. to do. Yeah. Kind of an idealized journey instead of the actual journey well it's even to a certain extent i mean the 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 one we always use as a bit of um bit of an example to that is just you know going to a courier sending a parcel so the courier one i've got a parcel to send i go to the shop i arrive at the shop i put the information in the system i go to the counter i give them the parcel i pay the money and i go that's very broadly a process the experience can be very different defining where the shop is parking in the shop is it is that easy sometimes the decision to mail something at all versus not can be a part of yeah yeah Yeah. how critical is the thing that you're sending is it something you're really worried about and we'll get into some of this so i'm not going to go on about it the other area that i did want to raise that i do think is lacking with many people's current journey maps are the role of emotions in the journey too many organizations again talk about positive and negative emotions but don't get specific about which emotions and hardly anyone looks at behavioral science which is why i hope this session will be good news for people basically well let's get practical then yes let's get practical i can see the sweat coming on your brow as i say those words We've taken a a simple journey that hopefully everybody has been on, which is booking a hotel for a vacation. We're going to look at this. We're only going to look at two journey steps, but let me read you out the five that we've put down here because we do plan for these events. One is booking your hotel online. Number two is arriving and checking at the hotel. Three is when you're in the room, what's that experience like? Four is using hotel services, and five is checking out. Now, you could argue there are more steps. You could argue that the journey begins before that and ends afterwards, but we're not going to bother making all those arguments because there's no point. It's a highly stylized journey just for discussion. So I think when we were talking about this before, Ryan, what we agreed upon was that there are a number of behavioral science principles that we've spoken about that virtually apply as a checklist in every experience that you have. So let me reinforce that. So any experience that you are looking at reviewing 
you should effectively at least go through these 10 for you to go, is this happening in the experience? So shall we shall we quickly run through those? Yeah. Yeah. And again, the the idea here is this is a list of questions you can ask yourself at each stage of your customer journey. Does this apply here or in what way might this apply here? Yeah. On stages of the journey, some of these won't apply and that's fine. But this yeah. is how you can start to apply behavioral science from the ground up at each stage of the journey. Just run through this checklist. And um, if you don't have a pencil handy, I'm sure we will put this this list in the show notes. You can refer yes, back to it. We will. Let's take each one of these in turn. Do you want to do the first one? Sure. Because I know this so, is your favorite subject. This is my favorite subject, right? So the first one is uh, segmentation or thinking about different tribes of customers. There are a couple of ways of approaching customer journey mapping from a segmentation perspective. You could create different journey maps for each segment. So some people will engage with you in a completely different way. So they'll, they'll take a different path based on which segment they're in. It may be that there's kind of one path for most customers. It's still worth considering a segmentation approach. So think about how would the different people who we are serving respond differently at each stage of that that journey. So that's the first behavioral science person. I don't want to go on too long on each of these because we've got a, a list of them. But I, I think that that one's important. And we put it first because all the rest of these may vary by segment. You know, for some people, some of these will be more important than others. So that's why we put it first. Consider the segments that you're serving. Yes. Number two is intuitive and rational people are aware this is called the intuitive customer podcast it's effectively the kahneman system one system two which basically says that we have an intuitive side of our brain and a rational side of our brain when making decisions so are we making a decision intuitively are we making a decision rationally and again i'm not going to go into it in any great detail because we've done a number of different podcasts on these as well and we've got a couple of the journeys that we want to a couple of the steps of the journeys that we want to get into do you want to go next uh so the third behavioral science principle to consider at each stage and colin already referenced this but it's very important um is emotions so what are the emotional states that your customers are likely to be in ideally going beyond just positive negative neutral actually identifying the various emotions that are at play at each stage and how they might change. Yep. Next one, and number four is my favorite, which is the peak end rule. We know that memories are really important and creating memories are important. And therefore, the peak end rule applies. What's the peak emotion in this part of the experience that the customer is feeling? And where's the end? And what do you want the customer to feel at those points? So again, building on what Ryan was just saying about emotions, understanding that emotion, but understanding that memory is a key part of that. Good. Built. Which leads us into number five. So the peak end rule deals with how people remember the experience overall. So kind of an evaluative memory. The peak end rule determines like how I feel about the overall experience. Number six is to consider the psychology of memory itself. So we've Colin and I did a whole series on memory and the different types of memory. So without getting into too much detail, there are resources for you there. But think about like what is likely to get remembered. So not just how people will evaluate the experience, 
but what specific parts of the experience will people get remembered? Is this stage of the journey requiring that people remember something, right? So are we expecting our customers to rely on their own memory at this point? And what does that mean for it? So consider at each stage of the journey, memory from a scientific perspective, what needs to get remembered later, what needs to get remembered at this stage, what are we doing to facilitate or hinder that? Yeah. One that sprung to my mind is, here's your confirmation code that you've now got to enter into right. whatever that, to allow you access. Yeah. Do you know your policy number? Like, no, yes. no, I don't. <laughs> I, I, I sometimes no. don't remember the names of my, my own kids when I'm calling them for dinner. You think I remember my, my policy number? Uh, number six is loss aversion, which uh, effectively is saying that uh, losses loom larger than gains. So we are programmed to sort of, we don't like losing things. We don't like to feel that we've lost out on something. So if you think about something where a customer has complained, by definition, they thought that they should have got something and they haven't. And so by definition, you're starting to talk loss aversion and understanding expectations. Very good. Uh, Number seven is habits. Habits is an important one in that it will not apply all the time. So it is not the case that you can expect every stage of every journey to have a habitual component to it. But when people are responding using habits, it is really important to consider. Like if, if we don't recognize that our customers are in a habit mode, then if we approach them using you know some kind of persuasive technique, it's probably going to fail because we don't realize Oh, no, they're responding using their habits instead of responding in some other way. So it's a really, really important one to consider at each stage of the journey, even if for many stages it's not going to be there. Just remembering to say no habits aren't in play here is really important to do so we don't forget about it. Yeah. Number eight is framing, which effectively is how you're going to say something. Are you going to say that this car has got 25 miles to the gallon? Or are you saying that this car is best in class for fuel consumption? Both things say the same thing, effectively, uh, or you could prove it is. Or are you going to turn around and say, yeah, we put you at a crummy room right at the back of the hotel? Uh, or are you going to say, actually, this room is, uh, is the closest distance to where the pool is? And therefore, uh, again, just framed in a different way. My favorite example is, are you going to frame a surgery as having a 95% survival rate or a 5% mortality rate? Those are the same things, but that makes the surgery sound very different. Yes. Yes. Good good one. Uh, next one is social proofing. So this is the basic idea that we often infer how good or bad something is based on the behavior of other people. So if we see that other people are lining up in front of a restaurant, then we infer this must be a really good restaurant. So we look to others for information about how something is. Yeah, absolutely. And all the reviews that you have on Amazon and elsewhere, et cetera. Next one is scarcity. So scarcity is the classic, well, there's only you've only got 24 hours to make a decision or 34 people are currently looking at this hotel room and and so on and, and so forth. Only three left at this price. Only three left at this price, yeah, and yeah, so on and so forth. I'm going to spring this on you, but I threw in a, an 11th, just yeah. a bonus one for people you to think You think you're about. springing this on me, Colin, but I've learned not to trust you long ago. 
We wanted to thank everybody for listening. You are great and the reason we do this. We're really pleased that we now have over 200 episodes. We've seen the podcast grow and grow. And now, according to Buzzsprout, it is in the top 5% of all podcasts globally. Thank you. That is truly amazing and not possible without you. But we have one request of you. Can you please tell a friend, a neighbor, or even someone you hate? It would be really good to get more listeners, and it encourages Ryan and I to continue to produce the show. So please, just tell a friend. Number 11 I'll do. It's not that Ryan doesn't know this. He probably knows this far better than I do. But it's reference points, which is effectively saying that everything we make a judgment on, we are we are comparing with something else. So it goes back to that expectation. You're comparing the experience that you have in a hotel with the experience you've had in a hotel previously, or you're experiencing the way that the, the, you're being answered at the call center with the way that you're answered at other call centers. So it's some form of reference point. Excellent. All right. So now let's get even more practical. Yes. Let's look at the first step. So let me take a step back, first of all. So what we're suggesting is that you looked at those 11 things and effectively apply them for each of the steps. So if the first step that we're going to talk through is booking a hotel, okay, what we're now going to do is just go, okay, so under booking a hotel, let's give you some examples of that so you can hopefully understand it in a bit more in a bit more detail. So right. uh, do you want to go first again? Sure. So we'll go through in kind of the same order. So again, imagine this is a checklist. You're just going through and at the booking of hotel stage, the first question I would want to know is, who are we talking about? So there are different segments of people who book hotels. Some people are booking for business. Some people are booking for, for pleasure. If we're talking about vacation goers specifically, are we talking about like a couple's vacation? Are you going just you and your significant other? Is this a family vacation? Is this a multifamily vacation? Is this a solo vacation trip? These are all different segments. And even within those different groups, you might have some that are more kind of price sensitive versus some who are more interested in, in maximizing their experience. If you don't know who you're talking about at this stage, then none of the rest of this is going to work very well. So we need to get very specific here. Which segment or segments are we talking about? Yes, absolutely. Next one is around intuitive and rational. Okay. So as I said to you before, the intuitive system is effectively always on. It's an instant decision. Okay. What's your instant decision about the type of hotel that you're going to stay at? There's one particular chain that I always use. I just go, I can't be bothered with all the hassle with looking into all these hotels. I'm just going to go to this one. Now, interestingly, just to reinforce Ryan's point, I tend to do that for business use. Yep. I don't tend to use that for personal use. But if I now go back to what we were just talking about in terms of reference points, I'm still using those reference points to go, well, on business, actually, I'm expecting this. So that does influence what I'm expecting from a personal side of things as well. So there are some things which are instant choices. It could be that you're looking at a picture in a brochure or online or whatever it may be, and you go, that's the one I really like. Look at that. Look at that, look at that pool. Look at that view. I'm going there. That's the one I'm going to. 
That's your intuitive judgment. The rational part is you turn around and go, that's the one I'm going to. The rational part is when the rational part of your brain comes in and goes, oh, yeah, but Colin, it's, it's 50% more than what the other one was. The rational part is all the logical part of your brain and the, where we have that inner conflict between the two parts. So one side going, yeah, it's great. Other side going, yeah, it's a bit expensive. You need to understand the balance and how customers are, are then thinking from that perspective. To tie this into Colin's point from earlier, you know, like you're going to get eventually to now what do you do about this? If you've discovered that for your segment of customers, they're primarily making decisions in this instance at this stage of the journey in an intuitive way, then when you design your booking website, you better have those amazing pictures, all these kind of intuitive signals that this is the best thing that they can get. If you've got a segment who's you know making decisions in a more rational way, then on your booking website, you better have it laid out so they can easily make those comparisons and so that your option excels uh, when those comparisons are made. Good. Next point is emotion. So consider what is the emotional state of people as they come in to that stage of the journey? What are they likely to be feeling? How is that going to change over the course of that stage of the journey? So on a vacation, we might anticipate that some segments are going to be very excited about booking a hotel, right? This is we're looking forward. This is something we've been anticipating. It might change to frustration at some point during the booking process. When I actually see the, you know, the price tag after I've selected this, that might instill another emotional state. But consider what are those emotions? What does it look like when I come in? What does it look like as I'm proceeding through the process? How is it likely to change by the time I exit that stage of the journey? Peak end rule builds on that. So you may come in, you you may the peak emotion may be excited. I hope it is. But the end emotion may be that you're feeling upset because the booking process was a real pain in the neck. The terms and conditions and everything else are somewhat arduous or you feel cheated in some way. It could be just that the confirmation could, I don't know, maybe the confirmation didn't even come along or whatever. So again, you're feeling frustrated. So bearing in mind that endings are more important than the peak it's really important that you consider the end of this experience because as we pass this onto the next ex part of the journey, it's important that you're trying to end this on a, a much of a high in the specific emotion as possible. It's gotten real common for hotels and a lot of other service industries to, to engage in what's called two-part pricing, where it's like, we've got a price, but then when you go to check out, well, then also here's the service fee and then here's a cleaning fee and then here's this fee. To the extent that that usually comes right at the end of the booking experience, that can really sour people and make them kind of upset as they're leaving. I had it yesterday. I was booking tickets to go to Legoland, okay? Yep. And they had a they had a $5 processing fee. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm doing this on bloody line. Where's the processing fee? Well, you know? all of their employees have to wear those gloves so that their hands only look <laughs> like C-shapes in Legoland. <laughs> that makes it very hard to process anything. Um, so uh, uh, not all right. So that's peak end rule. Going back to the psychology of memory. Think about what is it we're expecting people to remember at this stage in the journey from anything previous? Are we doing things to facilitate that? If it's really important that they remember something at this stage in the journey, 
are we making that easier for people? A lot of times firms will go out and like advertise, come to our website and book here. But then if people aren't remembering that at the time that comes time to book, then that message hasn't done any good at all. And then also, what do you want them to remember about this part of the experience going forward? So is there any information that you want them to remember? Are there any additional like feelings or associations you want them to have? All of that is about the psychology of memory, which is too complex to dig into in great detail here. But you need to you need to understand that. You need to plan for that. Number, I've forgotten the numbers now, but habits. Let's talk about habits. The great thing with booking online is that you can start to collate information about customers' habits. So you, you obviously you can tell, well, how many times has this person who's registered on our website come in to look at this? How many times have they got to this point? How, you know, what are they what are they doing? So you can start to interpret some of those things. And it could be that you start to look at the, the triggers. So a habit is formed by a trigger. In other words, something happens. And it could be that, huh, look at this. Every time that it gets to January, this customer comes online. Yeah, uh, Every time it gets to whatever it may be or their wedding anniversary or something like that, then this happens or this time of the year you may then infer that it's a wedding anniversary. Or if you're a cruise company or something like that, you may have even told them it's your wedding anniversary. So all of that information can then be deployed to look at habits. And again, you can then start to say, well, that's the customer habit. Is that a good habit for us? Is that a bad habit for us? Is there anything we can introduce into that habit and even convert that customer's habit to something we'd prefer it to be? Excellent. Is the way that this segment books hotels habitual? And it may be. There are some people who have a habit associated with booking hotels for leisure. There are other people who don't. This is more of a one-off experience. So if it is a habit, is it a habit that's good for us so that we can reinforce that? If it's a habit that we don't like, that our customers are habitually going to another provider, do we have specific strategies for breaking that habit to get them to form a new one? Are there things we can encourage to get people to, to start forming a habit of booking with us all the time? Um, have to consider those things. So we're not going to go through all of these, uh, all 11 in each of these, but social proofing is another great one to look at in the booking process. Colin and I referenced in, in a previous discussion, a lot of booking firms will now have like, oh, 65 people have looked at this hotel in the last 24 hours. That's a form of social proof. Like if lots of other people are looking at this, it must be pretty good. So is social proof an element at this stage in the journey for your customers. Yeah. And when it comes to framing, which was another one that we used, then the scenario I was talking about earlier, which was you want to go to this hotel, it looks absolutely lo lovely, but the rational part of your brain's going, yeah, but it's double the cost or 50% more. Then you could start to bring in things, let's say, well, you deserve to go away on this vacation that you think of the freedom, it's only a short flight, all those types of things. You're framing the message in a way that you think would obviously influence the, the customer. I'm conscious of time, so let's let's just sort of try to hit on the high spots here because as you can tell from this, this is involved. Let's go down the list and see what we come up with. So again, do you want to do the tribes or segmentation? So once again, same basic message, but we need to know who we're talking about. Uh, different people have different experiences to check in. If you're, if you're serving experienced customers, 
then the check-in process, they know exactly what is going to, to go on there. They're going to show up at the desk. They're going to know exactly who to talk to. They're going to have their ID and their credit card for incidentals already out and ready to go. They're not going to have any questions for you. If you're serving a different segment, hasn't been to your hotel or who doesn't stay at hotels often, that's going to be a completely different process. And they're going to have a different set of expectations and a different set of questions. Are there ways that you can serve those two different groups effectively? Are there ways that you can plan for that? Know who you're talking about first. That's very, very important at every stage of the journey. That sort of ties into, again, the emotional part of things because they're now arriving at the hotel. Have they done a long haul flight? Are they, are they really tired? Are they used to the time zones or, you know, they've just traveled up the road? This ties into the next one as well, which is the rational and intuitive, intuitive and rational side. Because we know that if a customer is tired and you're then giving them complicated decisions to make, then they will normally use their intuitive decision-making process. Let me give you an example of that. I always remember going to the States literally for the very first time. This was years and years ago. I wish we'd had better security back then. Go ahead. (laughs) We rented a car. The guy turned around and did the usual upsell. And we went, yeah, let's have that. And then the next day, because we'd obviously just flown across the pond for the very first time. And then the next day I looked at the car and I thought, I'm not going to, you know, I'm now paying all of this amount and actually we can't afford it. And we ended up taking the car back, which then cost them money because they then had to process that return. That's because they gave us complicated decisions to make when we were tired. Okay. So these things, as usual, are intertwined, basically. Uh, So let me do one more at the check-in and arriving stage. I think that if the peak end rule is is useful to consider here as well. So there, if you're t- considering the, the hotel journey, the check-in is one of the very few instances where you know for sure the customer is going to be engaging with an employee instead of with a, the website or just like the cleaning staff who they may never actually see. But these opportunities where they're engaging with an employee present real opportunities for focusing on those peaks, right? So If you want to delight your customer, having especially friendly, helpful, cheerful employees is a really good way to do that. This is the opportunity for giving them unexpected upgrades or, you know, some hotels will like hand you a bottle of water as you walk up. Like that's a very nice free gift that they're giving you that you weren't expecting. But this opportunity where they're engaging with employees specifically is where it's going to be fairly easy for you to focus on those peaks to really really give people something emotionally positive that will influence the way they evaluate the entire experience. The last one that I'm going to talk about here is I'm going to choose a different area, okay, because I also want to make the point of whilst these are the 10 or 11 checkpoints, there are other behavioral science stuff that comes in, okay? Good. So I think it's, Ryan, it's called the focus effect where you apply too much focus on one part of an experience. So let me just tell you a story here, which I because I think it illustrates the point. Because I travel a lot and stay a lot in hotels, the thing that I make a big judgment about a hotel is what type of chair they have in, in the hotel room. Why? Because They're usually uncomfortable. I, 
Yeah. And normally, because particularly if I'm traveling on business, well, when I'm traveling on business, I don't like being Nigel no mates and going down to the hotel restaurant by myself. So I, I typically have food delivered to my room. And I, I basically have to sit in it all night. <laughs> so the point I'm trying to make is that, yes, there are these 10 things that you need to go through, but that's not necessarily the complete answer. If there was a behavior that you see the customer or some form of decision that you think to yourself, that's a bit strange, or some question that you want to ask the customer, because I've never been asked about why do I make a decision about this hotel room or that hotel room? I've never told anybody other than the assembled audience that that's one of the key (laughs) criteria for me, yeah? But nobody else knows that. And the point I'm trying to make is that there are other, other behavioral science principles that are taking place. It's not just these 10 things. I'm glad you ended on that one, Colin, for two reasons. Um, One, I agree with your point there. This checklist is intended to be a starting point, not an ending point. So if you don't know where to start in applying behavioral science to your customer journey, here's a place to start. But it is not an exhaustive list. There's more. We've been doing these podcasts for five years. There is more than just these 10. The other reason that I'm glad you brought this up is you sold us on a list of 10, which you then turned into a list of 11. (laughs) which you then (laughs) appended with a 12th item. So the other thing I want people to take away from this is that Colin is just really bad at at limiting himself in any way. Or using framing, I like to give value (laughs) to my audience. (laughs) You were expecting 10, but wait, there's more. No, it was a very good point. Excellent. I hope that's been of use and I hope that answers the pickle which is, you know, every time you hear us talk about this stuff, if you want to go through the back catalog and listen to some of these other podcasts, for me, the issue is it's very interesting, but so what, okay? One of the reasons why we always try to end the podcast with here's some practical things that we think you should do. Hopefully, you've got that in overload today, but again, being illustrative of it. So hope that's been of use, and we look forward to talking to you next week. Cheers. Thanks very much for listening to the show today. We really hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, it would be really great if you could leave us a review. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. Intuitive Customer.